What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here, your host. We've got a very special episode for you today. Corey LeBeau is back. He's going to be helping me break down what's been going on with the Warriors, rotations, some possible trade talks, injury updates, and so much more. Before we get into it, I just want to throw a disclaimer out there for my listeners. I did have, unfortunately, some audio issues on my side. Corey's audio came out great. Mine, not so much. It's an unfortunate issue. I spent most of today trying to fix it and get it right. We did have such good content that I didn't want to take away from, you know, what Corey, our, Corey and I's discussion. So I uh, hope you guys can bear with me through some of the audio challenges and still enjoy a really good podcast. So without any further ado, let's get right into it. What's up, Sam? Corey, my man. Bro. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I, uh, crazy times right now. What a roller coaster of a season the last few weeks. So many ups and downs. And those yeah. scripted it or predicted the predicament that we'd be in. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it's in some ways it seems like the like the worst possible outcome in almost a comical direction. Like it's it's crazy. I mean, we'll break it all down and kind of maybe how it led up to a year and where we'll go. But I never in a million years thought that it would come down to all of this. Yeah. So let's take a step back real quick. Warriors right now are actually 10th in the West with the Wiggins <laughs> over Detroit and the Lakers losing. Um, they're right there in it. They're in the thick of it. Um, certainly haven't played like a team that has playoff aspirations, let alone, you know, championship contender vibes, but more or less around the same point where they were last season when they, uh, advanced to the second round and finished as the sixth seed. Oh, just kind of going through what's transpired over the last few weeks, um, We've got GP2 out with a hamstring strain. It's his right hamstring. Um, the original injury was to his left calf. Kind of seems like an overcompensation thing. Like he just maybe came back a little too soon or he just goes way too hard when he's out there and his body just wasn't quite ready for the explosiveness. So uh, GP2 last I saw is going to be out for about three weeks. Chris Paul fractured his hand last night, got his hand caught in, I think it was Jaden Ivey's jersey, uh, immediately walked to the locker room, would not return. He's slated to get surgery next week. Timeline for return to be determined, but at 39 years old and a fractured hand, um, that's going to take time. Uh, I don't have any rough estimates of what I think, but expecting you know, weeks to months. Um, obviously a big blow. And then Draymond, we got some updates. Um, recently, he's set to return to the team soon as far as returning to the facility, practicing, 
Um, apparently, he's in a really good headspace. He's being in shape. So I feel like it's realistic that Draymond could potentially be back um, sometime next week, maybe by the road trip, maybe at some point during the road trip. Um, so that's kind of with the lingering news and updates and availability. Uh, obviously, you know, Warriors are in this kind of pivotal stretch of games at home. And after they ripped off four straight against the Nets and the Trailblazers, the incredible OT win against Boston, uh, back-to-back wins against Washington and Portland, it was, you know, the very disappointing Christmas Day defeat to the, uh, in Denver with Jokic shooting 18 free throws, the disappointing loss to Miami without Jimmy Butler, the disappointing loss to the Mavericks without Kyrie Irving, a scrappy win against the Orlando Magic, and then the Jokic buzzer beater at home uh, loss the other night. And then uh, definitely not an impressive or uh, emphatic bounce back win, but a win nonetheless against the Detroit Pistons. You've got two more games at home tomorrow against Toronto and Wednesday against New Orleans before a four-game road trip. But, like I said earlier, Warriors are intense. You look at the teams in front of them, there isn't that much separation, uh, but there's obviously a lot more to talk about there as far as rotation, minutes, play, questions around Steve Kerr, questions around the roster, being too deep, not enough top-end talent, do they make a trade? Um, So let me pause there and get get your thoughts on it. That's a lot, Sam, and I admire your unceasing optimism in the face of all of this. Where it's like, you know, the West is still jumbled up. If the season ended right now, they'd have a play-in game. But you also, we didn't talk about maybe the biggest thing right now, which is after that Denver game, which, I mean, we will have to talk about that collapse at the end of it. Johnson Kaminga went straight to the press and was basically like, I'm done with this. Like, this is absurd in a way that we've never seen. And we've had Draymond Green on our team, for Pete's sake. And we've never seen something like this. I'm going straight to the media saying we've lost faith in the coach. He's not prioritizing me. And all of these questions that the fan base has been so frustrated over, like, do we play the young guys? Do we play the veterans? Like, how are we making sure our lottery picks are getting enough practice? Like, they're not going to get better if they don't play, but winning when they do play, but not winning when they don't play. All of that came to a head. It came to a head last year when Jordan Poole turned from being an electric pillar of this next Warriors phase to maybe the worst player in the NBA, and we had to trade him out due to also probably being punched in the face by his teammate and mentor. And now we have another young player showing such promise, playing really well, saying that this is absurd and he doesn't like it here. (laughs) But uh, what is it, the Eric Gordon tweet? Like, I don't like it. Um, I think it is just so wild to watch this team fall apart on every single level. And honestly, Sam, like, I think it's cooked. I think it's over. Whether you make a one trade, whether you make a bunch of trades, I think at least for this season, 
this team does not have it in them to do anything more than last year. And honestly, if it, what happened last year happens again this year, I'd be a happy camper. A first-round series win, going to the second round, Steph shows his medal as one of the greatest players of all time. That's fine with me because this team does not have the internal constitution to do more than that. Because, I, like, we, we've been talking about this even going to last season, like all the bench stuff and everything. At the end of the day, five minutes left, a two-point game for two straight seasons now, or a season and a half, right, into the title, they have not been able to win those games. Like, they just have not been able to. And shocking like different ways they've been what was our phrase they've been snatching defeat from the jaws of victory and it's been continuing again with a different cast of role players with a different situations and context i don't know what happens but something is not right here internally they're not connected and the once like glorifying warriors culture seems to have completely disintegrated in terms of being able to have the integrity and grit to withstand all of this stuff. Because they thought they changed. We, there was so much optimism at the beginning of the year. And it all, it, it's nowhere to be found. So I guess that's my first thought. We can talk about what to do next or what do you think happens. But I know that's the more pessimistic take on the other side. But that's just what it looks like. Yeah, and, and you know what? I I love that you bring that up. Honestly, I personally feel like pods and articles and stuff get pretty vanilla when everyone's like on the same page and agreeing with each other. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's way more interesting when we can have, um, you know, back and forth and discourse like this. So I think you made some some really good points, some very valid points. The first thing I want to talk about is Taminka. I mean, Kaminga's just 21. I think him going to the media to, and, and making that soundbite was warranted and valid because he's deserving of minutes. At the same time, I feel like sports media today has turned into clickbait, fortunately. So, totally. And also, understanding that he's super young and he's not, he's not U.S.-born English is in his first language, so we can also kind of read a little bit into the words he uses because, I don't know if you saw, was it after the wait in Detroit when he plays 35 minutes? Um, the, the new quote is, I love it here. From coming, talking about he sat down with Steve Kerr after he said that to the media before the game. They had a really good conversation. He said things like, we don't really get to sit down and talk about non-basketball things. We don't do that as much. It was great to just get more comfortable talking to him about, I'm doing these things really great, but what else can I do to get better? So I'm yeah. not really overreacting or reading into Kaminga saying it's over. Obviously that quote was pretty, like if that was really true, it's like, all right, well, I guess we're going to trade him then. But then clearly... He played, he played a team high and season high 30, 35 minutes plus about 36 minutes against Piston. Um, and the biggest thing that I keep harping on all season is this team, this Warriors dynasty in franchise has never sustained success without Draymond Green. Mm -hmm. They've never been able to put together 
winning stretches of basketball at a high level without Draymond Green. And even with this depth of this roster, there are a lot of different dynamics and nuances going on here because obviously it doesn't matter now that Chris Paul fractured his hand and he's going to be out for a while. But part of the issue that I feel like with what Steve Kerr is able to do and how he's able to utilize this roster is Steph Curry wants to be off the ball. That was the lessons learned from the loss the Lakers in the second round. Curry can't be on the ball for an entire series, for an entire game, and play at a high level. He wants to be off the ball. He doesn't trust just anybody to get him the ball. That trust is with Green, and that trust is with Chris Paul. So what that has meant for this season without Draymond Green is there are stretches of the game where Curry wants Chris Paul on the floor. Whether it works defensively or not, whether Chris Paul's playing well or not, it doesn't matter. He doesn't want to have the ball in his hands. He wants to be off the ball, and he wants Chris Paul on the floor with him. And that's Curry that wants this. That's not Steve Kerr. I mean, that's that's Curry and Steve Kerr agreeing, right? Kerr's doing the rotations, but that's something that they're, that that's game plan that they're talking about and agreeing on together. Um, and so because I don't have... Yeah, well, Sam, like, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes we give Kurt too much blame for clearly Steph's tendencies of, I'm sure you've seen this stuff. It's like, Steph, why are you spending every first quarter just running cardio, running around the court, like, make an impact in the game right away, get into a rhythm so we can start flowing. Now that's been, people maybe aren't giving that to Steph enough. At the same time, the idea that the only two people who can have the ball in their hands while Steph's doing that as Draymond or Chris Paul, I'm not sure if that's, I mean, maybe there's been other reporting and it might be true, just that would mean, I'm not sure if that is true in terms of there isn't anyone else who can do that. I think that's one of the reasons Pods has shown that he can be on the floor is that he's good at being on ball and actually can make good decisions. But Kaminga's getting better at the ball handler at that ball handler role. And there are other ways to develop or put into rotation. And whether it's Steph who wants that or not, like you can't have, those are both finicky lineup options to have. Like it can't be either only Draymond Green or one of the greatest like passers in basketball history. So I guess I love, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not saying that it can only be those guys. I'm just saying that those are the two guys Curry trusts. So part of that is developing, right? Because I certainly agree that Pods can be that guy. The last three games, Kaminga has shown this additional level to his game where he's not just looking to score, he's looking to facilitate. Um, but yeah. they're not proven, right? They haven't necessarily earned the trust of Steve Kerr by by doing it at a high level and deep into a postseason run. Like Chris Paul is yeah. So That's- now, right, we fought last night. What did, what were they going to do? And I was really curious. You saw, okay, Chris Paul's not going to come back. Who's going to play down the stretch? And you are 100% right. It was Potts. And it was Potts with the ball in his hand, bringing it up the floor, down the stretch in the fourth quarter, and Curry running off the ball. So this is where I think I am kind of optimistic because now Curry doesn't have, now, now Curry and Kerr have to be like, well, this has got to trust. Kaminga and Pogs now because you don't have anybody else. And yeah, Corey Joseph will probably play, you know, 10 minutes a game here or there. It's just kind of a backup point guard. But 
now you are forced to rely on the other guys that you have. You're going to get moody in there some more. And so I think things are going to become a little bit more simplified now. You've got 30 minutes that just opened up for Steve Kerr to now deploy all these different lineups that can be better defensively, that can be better offensively, and force enforce the issue a bit more with giving opportunity to develop Kaminga, Odds, Face Jackson Davis. Because, yeah, I agree with you. It's incredibly limiting to have Curry and Chris Paul on the floor at the same time, especially if Chris Paul is hitting 6-3. Um, because yeah. then it's like, it's not, you know, he's, he is only better defensively than Jordan Poole, but at the oh, same sure. time, you know, at the same time, he, he's not coming up with any huge stop, right? You can see yeah. that he knows what he can do and what he can't do. He gets himself in the right position. He fouls at the right time, right? But, you know. It's also the ripple effect, right? Like, it, that's why basketball is so beautiful. It's not whether Chris Paul himself is, like, the worst defender on the floor, but it means Steph is guarding Aaron Gordon down the stretch, and it's just not constitutionally possible to right. close these games. I totally agree. I actually, after the Chris Paul injury, and let's, we can talk a little bit about him because he's been getting a lot of probably unfair hate. And I think he's been pretty good for the war. He's been like pretty darn good. He's done what he needed to do. All the preseason pods we talked about on the differences between him and Jordan Poole and the playmaking and the facilitating and settling it down. But it's almost like he's been just a little too good for Steve Kerr to make maybe the right decisions or the more helpful for the future of the team decision because he's still throwing out these lineups that aren't, that aren't winning. And it's still this the same thing as last year is like, okay, we're not going, we're going to play proven vets in this pursuit of mediocrity of, hey, we can stay right around 500 because these are the people I trust, even though these teams these lineups are also losing the close games as well. And it's the same thing as last year where it's like these decisions in a vacuum, they're tough to watch, especially as Warriors fans where we're like, please, like, let's play the young guy. Let's see a different look. Let's do different things. And if we were winning, it would be, okay, well, it makes sense. I can see the reasoning why, but we're still not. And this team still hasn't found a vibe to it. So I think Chris Paul... He's been good. I think the shot in the beginning of the year was was really rough and part of the reason we had such a rough start after the great mini start, but he wasn't providing any of on offense. And it's sad that he got his hands hurt right when he started to find like a little bit of rhythm in his jump shot. But I think having him out of the picture for a little while to force her to play these young guys to add a little bit more defensive versatility and just different looks and different styles into this mix that can't hurt. Yeah, I I love Chris Paul. I think that people um, look at his salary and how much we're paying him and say, ah, you can't pay him $30 million. You need to trade that and open up that slot. But I never viewed him... I'm not, like, viewing him as that $30 million player. I'm looking at him as, like, when we likely re-sign him next year to, like, $5 million or veteran minimum or something that's a little bit more equitable with, you know, the role he's going to play. But I feel like what he brings on and off the court is irreplaceable. And it's been a breath of fresh air to have a legitimate 
backup point guard that plays that has the ability to play in a different style. The chemistry be- between him and, and Dario Sarch has been so good. Um, his ability to find Kaminga and Trace Jackson Davis rolling to the rim when we're actually able to get stops uh, defensively and get out and run in transition is, is unparalleled. And I, I think he brings a really nice facet and option um, this team. It's just hard, like we're talking about, because he is, um, he's got some obvious holes to his game just based on where he's at in his career right now. But I don't know, you know, you still need a legit backup point guard, and I don't know where else you would go to get that. And I don't know how trading him and getting, you know, another top end talent necessarily shores up that because I love Pajeski and everything he's doing, but he is not shown me quite yet that he can be um a legit backup point guard in, in the way that that chris paul has he's a little bit more of a connector yeah that makes sense but I, the key thing you're saying sam is like yeah chris paul's a great backup point guard and that's why he has one of the highest plus minuses right the bench units for the first time about hurry are actually functioning really well the problem is he's not being played as a backup point guard on this team Kerr has started him like so many times. He's playing him with Curry. He's playing his minutes. Like we're talking about how he's not going to play that much because he's old. He needs to stay in shape and he needs to make sure we're in that place. And instead, he's been like not ridden into the ground. I certainly don't think the hand injury has anything to do with his minutes, but he's playing a lot. And in all of these three guard lineups, which is so weird because it used to be that the Warriors always had a big guy on the floor where we're like, hold on, why are we? protecting Draymond when he could be like the one five play the death lineup all the time. And it's funny to see the reversal of this towards the end of this run here. It's so it's less about Chris Paul himself and more about just the context that he's been put in so far. Yeah. And also the con like what that has meant for the rest of the team in terms of at the beginning of the year, it seems like the biggest chemistry issue was going to be okay, how is Chris Paul going to handle this going to the bench and being like leader of the bench guys and knowing he's in another phase of his career? And it turns out Chris Paul's been the most professional freaking person on this team other than Steph, right? Like he's kind of taken whatever he's needed to have and having another old veteran guy who's playing a lot while the Warriors are losing, that ripple effect has has like affected the young guys as well. Well, it goes back to it goes back to Draymond Green, right? I mean, it, I think if you've got a healthy roster, there's no way that Chris Paul starts, and and you look at Chris Chris Paul playing more as that um, twenty five minute per game role. But he would still close, though, right? He would. Oh, that's that's what I was saying. I mean, may, maybe at the beginning of the year when there were questions unanswered, that that was an option. But I think if the way that I see it and the way that the season has gone, if you've got a healthy dream on green, you don't need Chris Paul closing. You probably go with, with Kaminga or Wiggins and Dream and Draymond at the five. Kaminga and Wiggins. So you maybe go Seth Clay. Seth Clay, Wiggins, Kaminga, Draymond. Close. Yeah. Kind of no, because, I not because you don't have Draymond Green, you need somebody that, that can get Curry the ball and they haven't trusted or felt comfortable giving odds and Kaminga the the runway to prove that they can do that 
Um, yeah, I mean, totally. I think who knows what would happen and what will happen when Draymond comes back. But Chris Paul was closing a lot of those games. Kerr has basically said that he does not like playing Wiggins and Kaminga together. He barely does it during the game, let alone during a closing game. And also, when Draymond was in, they were still losing. Like, I mean, it's, it was easy to see, but like, yes, he was playing, but he also <laughs> like was ejected for so many games and wasn't right. able to close and stuff. So it's a hard sample size to have, but that's also part of who he is as a player. So, well, we also saw, well, we also are seeing uh, or play Kaminga and Wiggins together more. Yeah. I mean, it looks like he kind of has to, right? Because I don't think the Warriors are going to trade him. And that kind of was the point of Kaminga leaking to the media, right? It's like, hey, Fred Devlin's coming up. Now you guys are making a move. Get me out of here. Get me somewhere where I can actually play and be rewarded for playing well. And I took the, like, I thought, so <laughs> I'm, I'm come on here. I'm been very pessimistic, right? After the Denver game, I was about as low as I've ever been as a Warriors fan. It's probably three, the three to one blown lead in the finals, and then this game because it felt like such a, a a repudiation of what I thought this team was. Both of those times, these epic collapses. After the Pistons game, the win, yes, like love barely scraping by against one of the worst teams in the NBA in NBA history, maybe. But you got the win under like immense, like emotional circumstances. And what kind of restored my faith a little bit that maybe they can kind of salvage something of this Warriors run is I love Steve Kerr's comments afterwards. And I love Steph Curry's comments afterwards of, hey, like, I totally understand your frustration. That's not the best way to go about it. You can do, you can express that displeasure and express what you need to do without going to the media while protecting the team. And also Steph saying, like, I'm so proud that he was a professional here and still came out and played well. And Kerr also had the, you know, had the courage to be like, okay, this just happened. Another coach would have been like, okay, you're benched. You're not playing. And instead, he played him the whole time. Now, I'm a little tired of Kerr, like, having gigantic coaching mistakes. And then the next day being like, yeah, I messed up. Moody should have played. Kaminga should have played. And then playing them a lot the next game. And then, you know, things changed. Just to, just to touch on that, Kerr did not say it was a mistake to not play JK um, more than but, more than the, the 19 minutes that he played against Denver. He actually doubled down and said, um, you know, Kaminga played great. Wings came in and that lineup pushed the lead to 18. So, yeah, I wanted to get Kaminga back out there, but Wiggins was playing really well and we were rolling. So I didn't. And I looked back at the box score and I saw, oh man, yeah, JK had a great game. And I, I should have gotten him back out there, but he didn't go back and say like in the Sacramento loss when Moody had 14 points and was pulled where he was like, oh man, that was a mistake. He, he was like, no, um, Wiggins was the guy and playing down the stretch. And part of the issue is that Kaminga is making mistakes defensively. So I feel like at the onset of Kaminga kind of coming into this league, you know, we all thought he was going to be this rugged defender and and the and the offense was going to have to come along, right? And shooter, not really great free throw line, but when, you know, he was at the rim, he, you know, he's so athletic. Now it, yeah. his offense is so good. It's something like he looks like he's unguardable, but defensively he, he's making mistakes. He's not, 
he's not as consistent as Andrew Wiggins is defensively. But, I mean, maybe from game to game, but de- the Denver game, he wasn't making a lot of mistakes. He was pulled he right after he, well, he was pulled right after he scored. And also, when they went down the stretch, he pulled Wiggins, too. Like, there was a time when Wiggins came off the court and he didn't put Kaminga back in because he doesn't trust him. And... I mean, you can argue whether that trust is warranted or not, but it's not working. Like it is, again, just like last year, it is not working out in wins. In fact, it's working out in the most epic collapses we've seen during this run. So to to take Wiggins out and to not even give Kaminga a chance when like, yeah, hindsight's 20-20, right? Like it's easy to see, oh, we needed more side, someone to go drive in and get a bucket. All the passing wasn't working. The fact that he can't see that, that he's not willing to take that chance when you have the precipice of this major collapse. The fact that you don't think that this collapse will happen, even though this team has proven that they will blow a lead and lose time and time again. Yeah, like it would be one thing if he wrote wrote out with Wiggins the entire time, but he took Wiggins out for storage and other players too. So the, I miss that. I, I miss that. I miss that Wiggins came out, but the issue was Aaron Gordon. In the Denver game. Yeah. And there were at least three times that I saw that Kaminga misread descending Aaron Gordon that led to dunks and lay. Oh, Kaminga, Kaminga couldn't stop Aaron Gordon. And Wiggins completely took Jamal Murray out of his rhythm and was doing an incredible job descending. Arts was brought in eventually first with no answer for Gordon. And so he went with more size. Um, but Kaminga already had made several mistakes off the ball where he lost sight of where he lost sight of AG. And that's why, in my opinion, her didn't want to go back to him. And I totally agree that there's another way of looking at that, which is we had an 18 point lead and we needed to score to try and win that game. But that's not how Steve Kerr coaches. And so I'm not saying what's right or wrong. I'm just kind of explaining the perspectives of Steve Kerr is always a defense first coach. And so he it, went with he went with the lineup that he thought was best suited to get the Warriors stopped. The only caveat to that is he also wants to make sure Curry's off the ball. So he's he's conceding some defense to have Chris Paul close with Steph Curry, but then every other spot is just going defense. And so there's holes to that. There's gaps to that. And we're seeing that. That's, that's part of what, you know, you're talking about in, in discussing is like Kaminga had such a good game. They couldn't stop him. The, the Nuggets didn't have an answer for him. He had just gotten this and one uh, midway through the third quarter. He gets pulled and he doesn't come back in the rest of the game. The Warriors had like an 18 point lead with five and a half minutes to go. And they were shut out down the stretch. And maybe, you know, you, you put in you put in Jonathan Kaminga and Wiggins at the same time, what, you know, whatever the combination is. And Kaminga at least gets fouled a few times, gets to the free throw line. You feel like you only really needed to score once or twice to win that game. Mm-hmm. And yet, mm-hmm. you know, her opted to say, well, we had an 18-point lead. We just need to get a few stops. Kind of coming at it the other way. So it's just uh, a challenge because, you know, we see the game on the floor and we see different, uh, we see it in a different way than, than Steve Kerr does. So it, it's difficult and frustrating at times to see. Definitely. Sam, I totally get that. You cannot tell me with a straight face that if Kerr wants defensive stops, 
that he actually thinks that a lineup with Wiggins and Kaminga on the floor instead of Chris Paul, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry would be worse defensively. Like, you really think he believes that? Do you believe? No, but that's that he got that's the, that's the complex that, that it's the, it's not as simple as that. He wants the best defensive lineup on the floor, and he wants Curry off the ball. You don't have Draymond Green, so the best you can do is Steph and Chris Paul and three other guys who are who are going to be the best options defensively. Yeah, so that's why I'm saying like the issues that Kaminga has can't possibly be more than the issues of what we've been watching on the court. And if that's the case, I mean, he's just wrong. Like they got outscored twenty-two to four in like six and a half minutes to close it out. I've never seen anything like that. I mean, to only call timeout like once during that time to not be able to stop it. I mean, there's so many other things that happen, and we can even talk about how they played because I think Steph has been getting a lot of like no one's no one's putting the blame on him because I'm like the last thing we have left. But I don't think I've ever seen Steph play worse down the stretch of a close game. More than just that turnover in the end, like yeah, and he so, hunt he hunted so many shots, and then all he had to do is hold on to the ball at the end of the game, and instead he throws it away. At least could have had a shot to go to Everton. It's crazy. It's like after, I mean, we were talking about this last year too, and this goes beyond Kerr. Although I think he suffers from this too. It's like they are so confident in their abilities to win, they think the game's over with seven minutes left. Like Steph's thinking about what he can do his night light game, and they stop playing smart. And every single team in the league, whether they're the Detroit Pistons or whether they're the champion, Ripping champion, Denver Nuggets, knows they're going to let us back in this game at some point because they don't know how to keep their foot on the gas pedal. And that's kind of unacceptable. And that's like a different conversation. That's where it kind of comes down to. It's like, you know what? Like, love this team to death. I will never trade anything for the four titles that they've given us championship teams don't blow that lead and i don't know if a trade for siakam or whoever else is going to change that fact and they were blowing those leads with draymond green on the floor too sure not on all that and you know not as dramatically very valid and i'd say the earlier the warriors of earlier this season that had that had draymond green available were um, were challenged for different reasons, turnovers and fouls. Now it feels like they've corrected the turnovers and fouls, but because they don't have BP2 and Draymond available, they're more limited in who they can play. You've got this 12-deep team where everybody's deserving of minutes, but very limiting as far as how Steve Kerr wants to deploy them based off of the system that they want to run. And and so it's different issues now um, than before, even though you did have Draymond Green or, or you had Draymond Green and you had games where it was like 25 turnovers, 28 turnovers, 18 turnovers. Um, turnovers weren't the Warriors' friend last night against Detroit, but the last three games, they were under 15 turnovers. Uh, totally. Which was, which was really good to see. So, yeah, and they were playing, I mean... It was talking about, oh my gosh, like they're playing so well without Draymond. I don't think it's a coincidence that their turnovers went down with Draymond off the court because Draymond's kind of like Steph. He'll just throw the ball willy-nilly wherever because he's like so excited for the next pass, just like Steph is, just like the old Warriors are. So that's also not, it's not like that didn't have to do with him too. So 
it's it, but it's so interesting, Sam. And this is the same thing as last year. It's always like, man, when we get the full team here, like we're going to be so good. And it's like all of these caveats. What's this team built on strength and numbers? And that when one person's down, the next one can step up. And we're all like, can we can all do this? And Kerr had his trust in the bench to do that. It seems the opposite now, where it's like, not only is it we can't even win against the worst teams if we don't have our perfect team with all of it, all our roster perfectly balanced out to win, but we so don't trust the bench that we have to put on completely. I was about to say unacceptable. I don't know that. I'm just some guy in my apartment talking about basketball. But like complete like lineups that have are already so uh, they have a handicap to them in terms of winning, whether they're size challenged or offense challenged or defense challenged, because Kerr won't put the logical wing forward lineups ahead because he doesn't trust these players. But again, it's the reversal of what it was. It's not Steve Kerr. It's Curry. Again, I have I have to go back to this. Curry wants Chris Paul on the floor at the end of the game. It's not Steve Kerr unwilling to play Wiggins and Kaminga together. It's that you need Chris Paul on the floor. You need Clay Thompson out there for the gravity and the floor spacing. And so Wiggins and JK are playing the same position. There's only there's so, only one slot for them. So you're saying that if Kerr wanted to put Kaminga in that last game, Steph would have been like, whoa, not for Chris Paul. He would have yeah. said that. Yeah. Where are you getting that, man? Where's that been reported? Like, I mean, I'm, it's not. It's yeah. not that it's, it's not that it's being reported officially, but you can see that Curry wants to be off the ball. And you talked about uh, Curry talked about it in the off season about how he doesn't want to be on the ball. He doesn't want to just run one five pick and rolls all game and have the ball in his hands. That's not sustainable for him over a season in a playoff series, etc. So he doesn't want to have to have the ball in his hands, and and so that means. It's got to be Draymond or Chris Paul out there to, to help set him up. Now, all of this is kind of for moot because, again, Chris Paul's going to be out for what I think is going to be a month plus. So we're finally going to get to see what that looks like now that Chris Paul isn't an option. Is that going to be Pajeski? Is that going to be Wiggins and JK? Is it going to be, you know, based on the matchup? So I think that it's going to be a very interesting time for the Warriors, but... Um, that's, that's the issue here is you want to play the best possible five-man lineup, but you also want Curry off the ball, and those things almost feel like they're mutually exclusive when you don't have a health, when you don't have an available Draymond Green. That yeah, I, is, is the crux of the issue. You want Curry off the ball, but you want to play your best five guys, and right now, with the roster of who is available to play, you can't do both at the same time. And so they are doing what Curry wants, which is... Curry wants to be off the ball, and that is taking precedence over everything else. I think, Sam, man, I like, I understand he wants to play off ball, but the idea that he's forcing the team to only have one of those two players in at all times, that Steph doesn't think he can adapt to something else. And Curse even said, like, we can't play Wiggins and Kaminga together. They haven't shown that it works offensively. We're trying to find that, you know, the right shooting and all the floor spacing so that's pretty interesting and to, to hear that it's actually like Steph putting his fit down when he's like in the Duncan mold if he does whatever coach said and he came out on the podium after the Denver game and was like Kaminga should have played he was like I mean yeah he probably should have played 
fan or after the Detroit game, he's like, yeah, Kaminga probably should have played. And then he went, not probably. Like, he should have been out there. Like, Curry goes along with everything that the team says. So I think that's interesting, whether it's, like, whether they're catering too much to his preferences or whether he's actually being vocal about it. Either way, this team has so many security blankets on it where if you can't function without the exact right set of guys on the team to enable to not blow a 22 to 4 lead, then they're just not that good, right? Like, that's what we'd say about another team if everything has to click perfectly for that. Then they deserve it. They're just not that good of a team. Because no team gets to just be in the perfect construction 100% of the time. And the Warriors have some significant issues this season. I mean, they're... um. They are 24th in field goal percentage, which is absolutely abysmal. The only the only year that they weren't like top five or even like number one in field, in field goal percentage was um, the one the one rebuild year with Wiseman, where we drafted Wiseman. So guys aren't hitting shots, whether it's at the rim, whether it's from three. We're 15th in the league in three point percentage. Um, you know, 20, 23rd in the league in turnovers. Uh, we don't have an elite offense or defense. Our defensive rating is 22nd. Our offensive rating is 12th. But it's been rebounding, which has really been, you know, keeping us in games. The The offensive rebounds were third in the league, 7th in defensive rebounds, 3rd in total rebounds, and getting to the okay. free throw line. We're, al- we're 11th in the league in free throws attempted, which is which is absolutely great. Uh, yeah. The league in free throw percentage. So... Yeah, this this has not been an elite team because we don't have the top ten offense or defense, and we're not hitting out consistently, whether it's from two or from three. And our defense hasn't been leading us leading us to offense, but we have been doing a really good job of rebounding, which is a really big issue last year, and we've been doing a really good job at getting to the free throw line, which was a big issue from last year. So things have yeah. been addressed and corrected to adjust from last year, but the things that we kind of assumed would always be there haven't been there. Part of that you could say is Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins just in this uh, continual on and off lump of being able to hit shots or not hit shots. Curry was absolutely incendiary the beginning of the season. He's been a little bit more human over the last the last um, the last three or four weeks. So you're right. I mean, if you're not top ten offense or defense, you're not a championship contender. And I think right now the Warriors are trying to find their identity you talked about this earlier all of these clutch games that we have just kind of come to learn that we win games when it's when when the game's there for the taking we step up and execute and find a way to win that hasn't been the case this year or last year and yeah it's talked about that they need to find their identity of what do they do to win games when um the denver nuggets go absolutely berserk and turn up their defense tenfold to where nothing's there who do you go to and who do you trust to get a bucket um, and and we even kind of saw that against the Pistons. The Pistons did the same thing last night. They act through, you know, you got to give them credit that they stepped up their defense. There wasn't anything easy for us. And it was Pods finding a way to attack the rim. Um, then Curry got going and, and hit some threes. So uh, this team still needs to figure it all out. Um, but, you know, kind of a segue from all of that, you mentioned kind of trades, whether that's Siakam or Larry Marketing. I want to get your thoughts on um, what you feel like what you feel like you'd like to see 
um, from a roster perspective, um, or is that even feasible? Yeah, you know, I think there's definitely going to be trades made, right? There's going to be trades made. I don't think it's going to be Clay. I know that was kind of an idea there, but I think after those like beautiful words he said about wanting to be a warrior, how lucky he is, like kind of learning how to go into the next stage, the final chapter of his career. Like, I have faith in Clay that you'll be able to figure it out and turn into what this team needs or how to have, like, a prosperous end to his career in this next stage. I don't think it's going to be Clay. I don't think it's going to be Kaminga after what happened last night, too. And I don't think the Dunleavy and definitely not Joe Jacob wants to give up on him because they probably agree with him. This guy hasn't had a chance to play at all, and when he plays well, it doesn't matter. Because he's not some perfect player that Kerr trusts in. So I don't think it's that. I definitely think there will be some kind of a consolidation. I think it's probably going to be Moody because they've been pretty uh, upfront that he's just not fitting in on this. Like, he doesn't have, there's no room on this team. That might change now with Chris Paul. But I guess the Chris Paul injury changes everything, right? In terms of who's going to play. Uh, and also him as a trade target now has much less value because he get, he's not going to play for even if there was like a championship hunting team that could have used like a veteran backup point guard. Um, so I don't know. I don't, I, I, I would imagine it's some combination of Wiggins and Moody in terms of like the money and the young player to get back someone else. I, I mean, it's the same thing, right? So like we've been talking about, like, I don't think like there's some magic player fixes this team. Magic being like a magical player, not the Orlando magic. That's funny. Oh. Well, what I see a lot of people talking about is Laurie Marketing. And so I feel like he would be a godsend offensively. I don't know what he does defensively, honestly. I've yeah. watched him play a little bit. I have not watched him enough, especially since being traded to Utah. I know he's incredibly versatile in the sense that with his eyes and length, he's like, a, he can play the three, he can play the four, he can totally he can yeah. play the small ball five, depending on the matchup. But the way that Steve Kerr likes to, you know, build and utilize his teams, and you have to think with the departure of Bob Myers and and Mike Dunleavy Jr. stepping in, he's not going to make moves that aren't going to um, kind of align with with Steve Kerr and, and how he wants to uh, how he wants to build a team for kind of this um, this kind of final last few runs, whether it's this is our last year, or you've got a few more years. I think it kind of remains remains uh-huh. seen. Um, you got Moody and Wiggins potentially on the chopping block. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Theakon looks really nice as far as like a, a versatile forward who can do a little bit of everything. But Theakon doesn't shoot from three, and also my issues with Theakon is you're getting a guy who's going to become a free agent at the end of this season. So are you willing yeah. to trade pieces for a player that has who has said that he wants a big payday? Right? So you're totally. trading for a guy thinking that this one piece is gonna make us contenders, mortgaging potentially the future or guys who are gonna will have better deals. Cause I don't think Wiggins is overpaid for, for his performance. I, I think Wiggins is still one of the elite one of the elite guard wing defenders in the league and you put a premium on that i mean he he's in the similar category as ogn and opie except he's uh he stays healthier and more available than in 
mean, theoretical. Theoretically, he is, but this year, he certainly. Like, he's maybe been the best defensive option we have, but he hasn't been locking anyone up in crunch time or been able to produce a stop or be able to slow somebody down and offensively. But I know what you're saying with Siakam. Yeah, I feel the same way. He said he doesn't want to sign an extension because he wants the choice of free agency, especially if he played in Toronto all the time. And I see, like, I know people will throw out his number. He's shooting a little bit better, and it seems to be kind of streaky. Doesn't it feel like he's placed the same position as Draymond's? Kind of like a power forward who can be a center, who can, like, pass and make the read. So I, I feel like that might be the same awkward fit on the court with Steph, Draymond, and Pascal than with everyone else. But yeah, Lori, like, I think the issues on this team seem to be, can we get our best players to play well together? So I think I'm leaning more Lar- more Larry Markkinen just because I know they'd be able to find some kind of, just because I can trust him to shoot, like to space the floor, to make the read, to drive, to do all of that a little bit more than I do Siakam. And it's not like the defense is already a little compromised, right? I don't think it's going to be that much worse with marking it on the floor but not enough to like be like please 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 basketball god send me a trade for one of those for marking in i don't think he's gonna solve everything i think it might be a little bit more clean with it all together yeah i think if you i think when everyone's healthy on this roster you probably do need to trade because there's too much there's too many specialists there's too many guys who do too many different things, but not enough guys who can do a little bit of everything and not enough guys who can do enough of everything to consistently be on the floor for 30 plus minutes a game. You've got 12 guys who just yeah. 20 to 25 minutes a game, um, but not enough. You know, you, you don't, Clay's not going to play 30 minutes tonight, right? It, he, if he doesn't have it going and, and the other team doesn't have kind of that lower bigger forward that he seems to be matching up better at these yeah. days. They have more quicker guards. You're not going to see a lot of Clay Thompson unless he's having that kind of shooting night. Um, For sure. Again, theoretically, because even though they've had those conversations, Kerr hasn't really shown. He's done it maybe a couple times where he's benched him down the stretch, but it has not become like, okay, this is the role. Like if it's a good matchup for Clay, he's out there and he's playing. And if it's a bad matchup, we're going away from him. They haven't established that yet which I think is also the problem with the what's happening here in terms of getting the young guys' minutes and stuff. And it sucks that maybe Kaminga and Moody, or it hasn't been communicated to them that, like, we're going to get there. Just hold on tight. Because maybe I think, I think in Kerr said, he's probably, like, once Clay figures it out and stops taking crazy shots at inopportune times, like, we are going to get there. And I bet Clay thinks that, and probably Steph thinks that, too. I don't know. I feel like with the recent injury to Chris Paul and we still don't have necessarily an explicit timeline on GP2, we're expecting mm-hmm. Draymond, Draymond Green back soon, but we don't know. And it also is a question mark of when he does actually return to the floor. Are the issues really behind him? How is he going to play? Is he going to play more, more passive? Is he going to be the you know, the, the have that intensity and be that emotional leader, but keep his antics in check. Big question marks there. But given the recent injuries and the lack of availability of players, I don't feel like they're going to make a trade because I don't think Wiggins and Moody is going to get you Larry Marketing. 
Yeah, and, and I, I think, think so. I think that to get Laurie Markkinen, it's Kaminga, Moody, and multiple picks, and they're not going to do that. No, uh, we, they're not going to want to get fleeced. And and I'm I'm sorry, Andrew Wiggins has not been great this season, but he has proven to be better than Jason Tatum in the NBA Finals. He outplayed yeah. Tatum. He outplayed Luca. Right, at least enough to, to to win the battle and hold them up, and you don't trade that away if you want to win a championship. If you're if you're saying this, you know, we're just gonna build for three years from now. Sure, maybe you look to trade Wiggins, and then you, and then that gives Kaminga, you know, a clear runway to thirty plus minutes a night, whatever, whatever. But Steve Kerr really likes Andrew Wiggins. I know you said earlier you didn't feel like his defense has been that good. I disagree. I think that Andrew Wiggins in the last month has really stepped it up defensively. He he shut down Jamal Murray in that Denver game for a significant stretch. The offense is fringe-worthy from Wiggins. The number of bunnies he's missing, the three-point mm-hmm. shot is there, and it feels like if Wiggins doesn't get his first shot to fall, he completely loses all confidence in himself and his ability to attack. Um, offensively, Wiggins is, is atrocious. But defensively, he has really picked it up. He has a ton of effort. And he is one of the few guys that's healthy and available to lock up uh, De'Aaron Fox, a Jamal Murray, uh, a Luka Doncic, and and you need that. And Kaminga could get there, but he's too inconsistent right now on the defensive end. Offensively, Kaminga looks like your second best option behind Curry. Kaminga looks <laughs> so polished. He his mid range is looking good. Free throws are looking good. You see the game slow down for him. He's so much more patient right now. He ha- he's doing a nice job of deciding when to attack versus when to move the ball. So that's really encouraging. Now he just needs to figure it out on the defensive end. Um, and, and if he did that, I think Andrew Wiggins would potentially become more expendable. But until he does that, you need both. You really need both. And and I don't think nobody's going to do the Warriors any favors with a trade. So. Yeah, give up to give up multiple players and pick to get something that helps you, but doesn't necessarily be like that's the missing piece. And with Laurie Markkinen, now we're a you know automatic contender. It's yeah. it, it's not necessarily it's it's addition by subtraction, and you're just kind of saying okay, let's be better offensively, but then be worse defensively. Um, I just don't see it. But I think before Chris Paul got hurt and before GP2 got hurt, it was like, this isn't going to work. You're you're yeah. probably going to trade Moody just because it's not fair to him. He deserves to play, but there isn't a place for him to play because he's not a better point of attack defender than Wiggins or Kaminga or GP2. Yeah. So when do you play him? You're not playing him over Clay. Um, but but now that you've got guys out, I think it opens things up. And if you can't play Chris Paul and Steph Curry next to each other, it opens things up even more. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do. I I suspect that they will engage in trade talk, but I think teams are going to want more than what we're willing to give up, and they're going to want Kaminga. And I don't yeah. think the Warriors want to trade. No, I don't think they do either. And that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, like the idealized version of Wiggins is like as essential to this team and the fact that they don't have a like one of the, the fact that he's struggling is one of the reasons this team got off to such a bad start. I mean, man it's not starting anymore like that's how much talk about losing faith and everything and yeah since his benching he's been playing with a bit more verve 
I think, yeah, he's still solid defensively, and you can put him and be comfortable, breathe a sigh of relief with that point of attack defense. I do think in Denver, like, it wasn't just him bottling up Jamal Murray, but also Kaminga putting Murray in the bucket, getting him in foul trouble. That all, like, helped with throwing him off the rhythm. And I just want to... One thing, like, I mean, he does make mistakes, right? He does make mistakes. I think it would be so unwarranted to call him bad defensively, though. Oh, no, no. Because he actually... not. Because it's like, yes, mate, like, compared to Wiggins and how consistent and also staying on the point of attack, like, yeah, but he's also a way better defender than Clay, right? Let alone Steph or Chris or anyone else. So... That's where you can understand his frustration is like, okay, so I make a mental mistake. I'm old, but Clay makes like five in a row while he's missing all the shots and he gets to stay in. And I don't, you know, again, that goes to the and that's where And that's where it gets so complicated because you only have one slot. You're either going to play Wiggins or Kaminga with the limitations of needing Chris Paul on the floor next to Steph. And all of that changes now that, that Chris Paul goes out. But so in Steve Kerr's mind, you're just comparing how did Kaminga defend in this game and how did Wiggins defend? Well, Kaminga lost sight of Aaron Gordon three times and it led to dunk. Kaminga, uh, Wiggins has been locking up Jamal Murray. I feel more comfortable riding, riding Wiggins. It was as simple. Yeah. I think it was as simple as, as that. And it's not that Kaminga doesn't play good defense. It's that he has mental lapses. And so when Steve Kerr is deciding who to play down the stretch, Kaminga gets the pass because he needs somebody he can trust on, and and Kaminga hasn't earned it yet. Doesn't mean he's not a defender. Doesn't mean that he doesn't do other things that would potentially help us. Doesn't mean that if you had played Kaminga, what he does offensively offsets the mistakes he would make defensively. So many other ways you could look at it, but at least the way that I read how Steve Kerr reads the game and makes those end-of-game decisions it's like that. And again, I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm just totally. No, I'm just saying what that's when I think Steve Kerr is reading it. And and that's why he's, you know, making the decisions. You know, that makes sense. Uh, that like absolutely makes sense. I think when you look at when it becomes as cartoonish as that Denver blown lead. Not making that decision, saying that, nope, we can't put him in because of that, because we only have to have one person on the floor because we're not giving that the chance mm-hmm. that become that's like a coaching mistake and the only reason i feel comfortable saying that because i don't know how to coach an nba team is that they blew a 17 point lead <laughs> with six minutes left right like the results at a certain point speak for themselves and it's the same thing when it goes back to last year it's like we we had similar conversations last year it's like yeah i understand why kerr is going with these g with these two-way players who literally are not nba worthy over the lottery picks because he feels more comfortable doing certain things with them. But it didn't lead to the win. And when you're not winning, when those choices are also... It's like, yeah, I gotta have that conversation. And I think a lot of this... What was it? It might have been on an athletic uh, podcast and we're talking about how the Warriors have been... The players themselves have been so inconsistent that it's really hard for Kurt. He doesn't have his closing lineup. Like, the... The starting lineup last year was the best in the NBA, and now it's like borderline unplayable because of the inconsistencies of Clay. Because Wiggins like lost complete quality in a jump shot, so that makes it hard, and it makes it where if he doesn't pull the right lever, he could pull the right levers on five out of the seven players, 
right? Because Steph's going to be consistent. He's going to be good. Or if he's not good, we don't have a chance anyways. But like all these other players, you have to make sure you're pushing the right buttons. You can push five of the right buttons. And if you don't choose right on the other two, you can still lose the game. So it's really hard. But he also hasn't been pushing any of the right buttons. Like nothing has worked. They're employing leads in all types of games. And whether that's, I don't think it's Kerr's fault that like Draymond Green fouled a three-point shooter to make up against the time they didn't foul a three-point shooter in the back-to-back Thunder game. Like they're finding hilarious ways to lose, but it's clearly all building up on everybody. And then a certain point, like something's gotta give here. And I think it might be with, if you're not even and under these circumstances, you're not even giving Kaminga a chance to like show that he can close a game. Like maybe he could surprise you. Maybe sometimes the energy in the verge could lead to something different. I think he, he, he has gone to he has gone to Kaminga. Not consistent. Yeah. Like you go back a couple weeks ago against Portland. Kaminga was the catalyst that we what we beat Portland. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. He played and he played the and he played like the entire second half after like he didn't play the first half. So it's not that he hasn't gone to him at all. But again, I think we've got two different conversations here. One talking about the challenge and issues of where we are leading to today. But a lot of this, I think, is has now resolved itself because you've got 30 minutes a game give to a combination of Kaminga, Pods, and Corey Joseph. And so I think that we're potentially in the midst of seeing um, a little bit of, of fourth development because there's yeah. nobody else to go to, at least until Draymond Green returns, which again is probably a week away. And, you know, GP2 is probably three weeks away. So I think a lot of this has sorted itself out because you're not going to be able to play Curry and Chris Paul together on the floor to close games or start games. And so you're going to have to go to somebody else. And I do think that despite Steve Kerr having that quote that Kaminga and Wiggins have been haven't been good on the floor together. Um, I think that they're going to go to that some more, and we're going to see yeah. our pods, and we're going to see more Trace Jackson Davis. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot here that we haven't talked about yet, and I think we'll just have to say table it for anything <laughs> time. Because like I love the Trace Jackson Davis Dario Saric front court. Yeah, that's been really nice. I love what pods have been doing. Um, drawing charges every game. There's so many, there's been so many diamond in the rust, like just the fact that they got odds and, and Trace Jackson Davis who are rotation players this season. I mean, can we believe it? It took, it took Kaminga and Moody three years to make it here. And these rookies have forced their way into the rotation um, as rookies. And so Which was- <laughs> and if we, if we can just land into the six feed and get ourselves into another and into another position of of uh you know playoff playoff series anything can happen but yeah it certainly has not been inspired basketball on any level from the coaching staff from the play of the individual players i think really the only person that you can tip your hat to and and feel good about is Mike Dunleavy Jr. and his and his front office staff, the way that they've drafted, and getting Dario Saric, getting Corey Joseph, who as much as people dislike, I mean, he is a bona fide third point guard to have, 
right? You lose critical, and then you're like, you throw Corey Joseph out there for 10 minutes. He's not going to do anything incredible, but he's not going to fuck up that. Um, yeah, totally, totally. I think that's true. I think it'll be interesting to see what the natural injury crunch does to this team. And to go back to the Kaminga point, I know we're wrapping up right now. And yes, he has closed some games. He hasn't given it. But this is a top 10 pick in the third year of his career who has shown that he can be really good, right? Like he's shown more than a lot of other lottery picks, I think. Like comparatively, like he's not a complete washout. And it's not even just glimpses. Like he's shown he can be a good player and he has not played back-to-back 30-minute games, even while he's been starting and has been earned starting roles. That, at a certain point, like, that's probably going to end now. Like, he has to play. Like, this team simply does not have enough bodies now to not have him play. But that is a choice. It is not a... It it didn't have to happen like that. It is a choice to have had that happen, and we're seeing the ramifications of that, both in terms of the record and in terms of all the hubbub about it. But yeah, man, I mean, these rookies with Pods and TJD have been so good. You know, the other play, I like how Sarge plays. And I feel like you, it's like whenever a player doesn't play well, especially one of the newer acquisitions, I don't blame it on them so much as, oh man, they're being put in positions. Like it's tough. Like it's tough to watch Sarge get bully ball, but he's so good on the other end on different matchups too. It'll be nice to see a trimmed down Warriors squad, especially after maybe what has to be the nadir of the season, right? Like this has to be the lowest point. The fact that it wasn't Draymond Green getting indefinitely suspended is hysterical. But it it's only way up. Only way from here is up. It'll be interesting to see what happens with the rest of the season and now with a more slimmed down rotation. And also what happens at the trade deadline. I don't think they're gonna get that all-star, like you said, but they might just do a addition by subtraction kind of trade and get like a little role player and then have something come in. I wouldn't be surprised if they do something like that too just to totally clarify, like, who are the eight players on this team? Yeah, I don't know. I feel like you got enough role players. I think if you're going to do anything, it's either work hook, time to plan for the future, and and trade some guys for, for a few, to clear, clear salary, future picks, so on and so forth, or we've got too much depth and not, a, not enough top-end talent, so we need to bring in a splashy an option. Larry Marketin, or maybe you think that Siakam, or maybe somebody else that we don't have our eyes on. Um, I just think that it's going to cost an arm and a leg and then some to get any of that, and that doesn't even necessarily solve the issues that have plagued the Warriors. Yeah, totally. I I really feel like they're just going to stand at. I feel like they've been on the precipice of winning so many games. The the record... Mm -hmm. For all the challenges and issues, whether it's who plays or doesn't play, the inconsistency of play, the turnovers, fouls, whatever, so many games that have been winnable that haven't been won, it wouldn't surprise me to see the this, you know, again, this being kind of the low point. And even though we just missed out on all these teams at home, we've been winning on the road. It's not like last year where it's like, man, just, you know, any road game, we're not winning. <laughs> Just forget about it. You have to win every game at home. It, it feels like we can win on the road at home, whatever. Um, anything's possible. So I, I I continue to be optimistic about this team. I see enough good things out there. And uh it's it's just it's just those little things that um 
that are gonna that are gonna turn it one way or the other. So, yeah, absolutely, it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens in the next. Yeah, and it's nice to know it's like they are in the tenth spot. You know, everything is bunched together at the middle. Like they're not getting into the four. Like those teams are pretty set, but could they get high up? Can they get out of the play? And like that's all in play still. They haven't put themselves out of that. So, you know, every day is a new day, Sam. That's what I tell myself. It's a new year. Every, you know, a new chapter. Who knows what they can do? It'll be interesting to see uh, their resilience because this is more than most teams have to deal with on a game-to-game basis. And we'll see if Steph and Kerr and Vermont's Warriors culture can handle it, handle it and pull it together for the remainder of the season. Steph always thinks he can. He thinks he can. And that's why he's one of the great, one of the goats, really. So, Nathan games behind first. And uh, the Houston Rockets are number eight. They're six and a half games. So it's literally two games. Um, Plus, actually, yeah. outdated. <laughs> From that game last night, they haven't updated the standings. But point being, like we just said, everything is so bunched together in the middle. You win three games in a row. You find yourself from 10 to 7 to 6. Um, I think a lot can happen. When you look at the teams in front of the Warriors here, uh, the Suns, the Rockets, the Mavericks, the Pelicans, the Kings, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Thunder, the T-Wolves, it feels like they should be in the conversation of top six. So it just comes down to uh, can they finally execute? Can they find their identity? Um <laughs> Now that you've got, now now that you've got less uh, less players to play, can they you know get some guys minutes? Um, Absolutely, we'll be able to answer the age old question, Sam. Can they hold on to a seventeen point lead? We'll see. We don't know. We'll find, find out next time. Of the podcast. Totally, totally. I think they can. We'll see what happens, man. Well, thank you, Corey. It's always been great. We've got the uh, Toronto Raptors tomorrow. Uh, a great time to have some behind closed doors conversations for trades uh, when you've got, you know, the visiting team at your home. Um, totally. We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy game to see how Siakam plays, to see how the fan base reacts to it, to see how the players, how it would work, to see how he shoots, all of that stuff. And, and you know what? It, yeah, I know it's frustrating to not be the best. The Warriors have been good for so long. But for me, there's so much more dynamic. There's so much more to talk about, to read into, to analyze when there's all of this, this complexities and issues and challenges. When you're, when you've got Steph and KD and you're blowing out every team by 30 points and they don't even have to play in the fourth quarter, and that's just too easy. We've got to make it harder on our, <laughs> got to be a, a struggle. Got to handicap ourselves with turnovers and fouls and our, our better players getting indefinitely suspended and punching each other. And let's just, let's just keep it like reality TV. Exactly. Like, not boring. That's for sure. And makes for good content. All right, man. Thanks awesome. again. Always great to hey. have you on, Corey. Always great to be on, Sam. Oh, have a good one. And go Dubs. Let's... All right, man. Juice. All right, catch you later.